All right, everybody, this is our, one of our special Gen Con episodes. You are not going to get a, an individualized introduction for each of our Gen Con episodes, so this is the one that you'll hear over and over again. I am at Gen Con right now, uh, or was just at Gen Con, covering all kinds of things from Wizards of the Coast. I'm also going to be attending uh, the Kobold Press seminars, uh, going to some press events and more, possibly some interviews and that kind of stuff, so expect some more of that coming out, including this episode. And don't forget, these are relatively unedited. All I'm doing is slipping in the intro to the episode and the ad from our wonderful sponsor, Noble Night Games. Otherwise, it is pure, unadulterated Gen Con material. And speaking of unadulterated, that means we're not responsible for the content. Some of it may be risky. We're looking at you, Matt James. Uh, (laughs) We'll try to outline that in the show notes, so pay attention. And remember that large, sometimes loud convention rooms or exhibit halls or giant floors where there's a recording going on and a thousand people standing around, that will impact some of the audio quality. It may not be the best audio quality, but I guarantee you that the content will be the best content from Gen Con. And as we move into the the content that you're looking for... The, the thing that you're tuning in for here, we should mention, again, our sponsor is Noble Knight Games at noblenight.com. Check them out. They're a great game store specializing in out-of-print materials, but also carrying the newest in, in game books and, and other materials. Uh, so check them out and make sure to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. And with that, enjoy the coverage from Gen Con. Noble Knight is a long-standing game store specializing in finding out-of-print games while also offering the newest great releases. Including D&D? They got it from any edition. That's right, all of them. What if I want a board game? Card game, minis, or dice? Noble Knight has it all, and at a discounted price. In fact, Noble Knight has over 30,000 unique items on stock. And you know you can trust this Better Business Bureau accredited store with a satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, but I've bought too many things over the years. How can I justify spending even more? Good thing we're talking about Noble Knight, then. They'll buy your old gaming things and offer you cash or trade, so you'll be able to keep up with all the great gaming stuff you want. Check them out at noblenight.com. Wow, I'll go today. And be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you. This is the Publishing 101 panel, which is how to publish your adventure, bestiary, or campaign. We're going to talk a little bit of... Uh, self-publishing for a lot of it, um, and I was going to be joined by fellow publisher Christina Stiles from Misfit Games. Um, she unfortunately could not make it to the con, so it is a solo act. Get me for an hour. I am Wolfgang Bauer, publisher at Cobalt Press, um, and wow, I've been publishing under the names Open Design and Cobalt Press for seven years and have learned a lot because it was supposed to be a self-publishing venture where I was going to write, edit, lay out, illustrate everything, right? It was going to be a self-publishing venture. And then very quickly I discovered, no, I'm not going to write everything. I'm just going to take on a few collaborators. And then I said, oh, you know, that's a lot of fun. Let's get a few more people in. And I said, you know, I could publish more material if I step back from so much of the writing and game design. And next thing you know, there are like projects coming out of Cobalt Press that really don't have my name in any other creative capacity other than publisher. And some of those projects have done very, very well. Um, the planar source book for, planes, uh, for Pathfinder, Dark Roads and Golden Hells, was up for an any last night. It did not win, 
But it, uh, it's a fairly awesome collaborative uh, book uh, that I'm pleased to have published. So um, that's my background. I'm going to see if anyone here hasn't already signed up for the Cobalt Press newsletter. We'll talk about the new releases. Pass this around if you like. Um, but I'm mostly here to tell you how to get started publishing an adventure, publishing a bestiary, or publishing your whole campaign setting. Um, so let's hear it. Who's got a fully written adventure they want to publish? Show of hands, anyone? One. You are way ahead. Half. Finish it. All right. Uh, who's looking for, like, monster publishing? Wants to do bestiary monster type work? Has a monster book? Sort of, kind of. And who wants to publish a whole campaign setting? Nobody. One. All right. So most of you guys are interested in publishing other things. Let me just ask you. There's only like 12 people. Um, what do you want to publish if it's not an adventure and it's not a bestiary and it's not a campaign setting? New classes and items and sorts of things? PDFs? I actually just want to know what the publishing process is like before oh, okay. I decide to make one of those things. Oh, sure. Uh, that's I can describe that, yes. <laughs> I've been living that for a while. Uh, anyone else got a particular angle? Um, with this guy. I don't have uh, anything flushed out, but I'd love to hear about it. All right, how it works and how it happens. Yeah. Okay, over here. I was thinking also um, any like legal things you have to go through. Oh, yeah. All right. In. Yeah, I'll <laughs> tell you like about year one of Cobalt Press, right? Because there were a lot of basics. Uh, that people were, were good enough to tell me about. The, the industry is fairly small. People are happy to share some you know, advice about how to get started. Uh, one of the pieces of advice I got early on was, oh, don't do it. Um, <laughs> you know, you're a good writer. We like publishing your work. Don't go self-publishing. It's a time, time sink. Um, that turned out to be true and good advice, but I'm still glad I, I took the plunge. Um, in year one, some of the things I established in order to like get the business off the ground was um, I got a business license in my local town uh, to let them know that I was starting a business as a sole proprietor. Um, I did not incorporate right away because I said, you know, if this thing crashes and burns, do I want to go through the process of incorporating? Probably not. Let's see if there's any interest. I'll be a sole proprietor for a year, and I promise myself I'll incorporate in year two if I have to. Uh, so I got the business license, and I told the state, and I got a tax ID number, and I got uh, whatever state you live in, your Department of Revenue and your uh, Department of Licensing or, or whoever handles corporate bodies and business bodies in your state will be happy to, to show you a website with the requirements. Um, it will change your taxes slightly, but, you know, given the income of most small publishers, uh, a sole proprietorship is a perfectly valid way to go. The other thing I did was I said, okay, I am separating the money. I am putting this money in my business account over here. And I took my most recent freelancing check, which was actually quite a nice check, and said, this is my seed capital. I'm putting it over here. And if it all goes away and money doesn't come back to me, then I have pissed away, you know, four months of work on a freelancing project, that money is gone, and I will know, gosh, it's really hard to publish. And, well, no, it's easy to publish. It's hard to make money, <laughs> right? So um, a number of people told me, well, don't spend too much 
And I was like, but I want a beautiful cover, and I want to go in print, and I want to have this, and I want to have that. People said, yeah, yeah, everybody wants that. You can't afford it yet, right? Um, so I, I ratcheted my expectations down to, okay, I'll probably just do a PDF thing. We'll see how that goes. Um, the very first project I did was actually a crowdfunded project. And I don't know if this is the way to go or not. It comes with pros and cons. And, like, Kickstarter is everyone's definition of crowdfunding now. But at the time, it didn't exist seven years ago. So I did it the hard way. I put up a tip jar. God, this is how long ago this was. I put up a tip jar on my live journal, which was my public face to the community at the time. Live journal. I went back there a few weeks ago and posted something to see if anybody was listening. And I got, like, a dozen replies, right? It's like, oh, you're back. I'm like, well, I'm mostly living in other social media now, but it's kind of a fun old home week. All right, this is cool. Um, whatever venue you have, if you have a blog or a Facebook or a Twitter account, you know, you need some way to reach people and to tell them that you're launching a business. Mine happened to be LiveJournal and this tip jar, and I said, I'm putting up a tip jar late at night, and when I come back in the morning, if there's no money in it, uh, you know, I'm going to be a very sad person and you are not my friends. And I was horrible. Uh, my marketing skills were underdeveloped. But, <laughs> but I said, you know, I'm a writer and uh, throw some money in the jar and, hey, I'll write something. I will publish it. And to my surprise, in the morning, there was like 50 bucks in the tip jar. I said, oh, my God. It's not just big professional publishing outfits that will give money. Gamers will just hand you money to publish something. And I'm like, what can I do with 50 bucks? I can't get a cover. I can't get an editor. Hmm. It's going to be harder than I thought. So uh, have a minimal budget, but realize, you know, you're not going out the gate looking like this. Um, and this is even a very modest layout in the interior. But, you know, your byline won't include Jeff Grubb or Chris Pramis or Steve Winner. Um, know what it is you're going to do, right? How many of you plan on writing all the material you publish? How many of you are self-publishing is sort of the goal? Most, but not all. All right. How many of you have targeted some cool game designer friends who you think you want to publish their work? You're going to edit it or illustrate it or lay it out. you got their stuff. You're going to... Okay. No? All right. So mostly people doing their own. Because, I mean, you'll quickly discover that the skills you have are never enough, right? Year one is all about discovering your limitations and uh, recruiting friends and relatives to help. Because if you can write it all, great. Who's going to edit you, right? Who's going to tell you that, you, you know, your sentence trailed off here, you lost a stitch, and you never came back to it? Uh, who's going to tell you that your stat block is kind of peculiar looking? Um, so you need to have someone look at it. They may not be a professional editor, but if you have a friend who's an English major, uh, if you have members of your game group who you, you trust their judgment, give it to them. Get some feedback on it. Write another draft. Um, then there's questions like, how do you do layout, right? You could do layout in Microsoft Word and produce a PDF, it's not the best way to go. It's really not the best way to go. But I've seen stuff show up on drive-thru that has clearly been laid out in Word. I'm like, all right, I only paid 99 cents. I paid a buck 99. You know, what was I expecting? It, it, 
It's okay. I'm here for the writing. Um, if you can at all afford it, uh, get a copy of uh, Adobe. Adobe InDesign is the industry standard for layout. If you have a friend who's a graphic designer and already knows InDesign, yay! Because my solution in year one was, I'm going to take some of that seed capital, I'm going to plunk down $200, go to the community college, and I'm going to get a student discounted version of Adobe InDesign, which by the way, costs more than $200, right? Uh, it's like five or 600 bucks for the creative suite, but if you buy it at the student discount, oh my god, it's a lot less. So this was actually a smart move. The community college made me a student for two or three months while I was learning in design two nights a week um, and allowed me to buy the software at the end of it that I needed for my business. Um, so that's a nice shortcut. It's probably still offered at, at community colleges or any student rate. Um, now here's the downside. I learned how to do things in InDesign, but I didn't learn how to do them well. Right? I knew how to do columns and create drop caps and header and style text, how to drop in graphics, how to link things, how to export the PDF, like all of the things that you do in layout, I could do. Um, but I had done, you know, very little of it, and, um, and it turns out it's hard uh, to do well, <laughs> just like writing well. Is, anybody can type sentences at a keyboard. You know how to type. You don't know how to write. Um, and it's the same with art. I can sketch a stick man. It does not make me an artist. So um, my first layouts were terrible, and I discovered I wanted someone else to do them. Um, probably in year two is when I could actually pay someone to do them. In the meantime, I had a volunteer. Oh, let me talk to you about volunteers. Um <laughs> Your friends and family will want to support your venture, right? Because they're your friends and family, and some of them will say, how great for you, you're being entrepreneurial, you're, you're taking your creative passion and you're going out and you're risking some time and money to make something new that you want to share with the world. Awesome, how can I help? Um, and the answer may be, you can read my manuscript, or it may be, you can help me with the layout, or hey, you can kind of draw, or help me with this logo, please, something's so wrong with it. Um, and you'll get a lot of advice and you'll get a f smaller number of people who are willing to like read the whole manuscript uh, for errors and proofing or, um, or do some other, some other aspect of the publishing. They may do promotional work for you, right? They may say, hey, I'm willing to talk it up because I'm really a big shot or I'm a middle-sized fish on RPG.net and I will talk it up and always better have other people talk about your projects. Um, so those sorts of things show up. The thing about volunteers is what you have, it's really hard to fire your friends and family, first of all, right? <laughs> um, you can say, gosh, mom, thanks for reading that. I won't ask again. Um, you can say, gee, honey, thanks for proofing my manuscript, but, you know, I actually don't ask my wife to read my text because she comes back with a lot of red marks over it and I'm like, yeah, honey, I love you, but you're just pointing out, you know, all my imperfections here in this man. I was going to catch that in the next draft, I swear. And I just, I just sort of go like, yeah, you're right, honey. And I spend a lot of time saying you're right, honey. 
And it's like, I don't need one more. I, my freelancing world is separate from my marriage, right? It's like, she knows when the money comes in, we spend it, and that's good. But, uh, but you may, there are different couples who have different, like, creative partnership stuff. Like, um, I don't know, pick your favorite. There's novelists who, who work together in, in partnership. There are, like, friends uh, who have written great, great things together. Um, but not every partnership works and just because somebody is close to you doesn't mean that that works as a uh, writing and publishing relationship so so say thank you to the friends who who you feel you're working with well um, but my advice would be as soon as possible transition to um, paying semi-professionals right Um, for two reasons one uh, they're less likely to sort of BS you because they like you, right? If your editor is someone in another state who you met on a chat board who has a resume, um, and she says, yeah, your through line stinks, your tagline is kind of dull, your back cover text, wow, what a mess, let me fix that for you. Um, you won't take it as personally as if your best friend Tom says the same thing. Um, it'll be a professional relationship, and part two, uh, you're paying them money. They are providing services to you. You can hold them more accountable. If your best friend Tom says, yeah, but, you know, I took my family camping that weekend, and I know it was your deadline, but, you know, come on, we're buds. Give me a couple more days. I'll get it to you. And it turns out Tom can't meet a deadline, or, you know, he's just a slow reader or whatever. It's, it's awkward. So please, go pro. Start paying people at least something for their time. Uh, as soon as you can as, as a publisher uh, because you want the best quality work you can get, you are writing the best quality work you can deliver and, um, and when it comes time to actually release it to the public right, the more professionals you're working with um, the more likely it is that people are going to say, hey that turned out really well the reviewers are going to like it, the fans are going to like it and they're going to tell their friends um, if it's more of a fanzine effort and publishing a fanzine is a lot of fun but people will hold you to a lower standard, right? Um, Wayfinder is a great fanzine for the Pathfinder RPG. It's like the best fanzine for the Pathfinder RPG. There are still things about it that make me crazy, and I would not want to like pay lots of money to a fanzine for a subscription because I'm holding it to a lower standard. Um, if you're really doing this to like earn money and do this over a long time and build a reputation in the field, yeah, you, uh, you want to work with professionals. So those are some of the lessons like from year one for me. And I feel like I've been talking for quite a while again. Um, what questions has some of that raised for you? And, and what other issues can I tell you about? I've told you about layout. I haven't told you about um, marketing or art, both of which are crucial. Question in the back. Where's the place to look for those semi-professionals? Ah. Uh, That is an awesome question, and I don't have a complete answer for you. I can tell you that um, art students from art colleges are a good place. Um, There are programs in graphic design, um, illustration. um, Art colleges are are clearly one of them. Maybe we have one here. As a follow-up to his, he's got a really good question. Suppose you're an art person, your primary art person leads. Do you have more than one art person? For Press. Oh yeah, I have one person who is the art director, right? 
And then he got like one or two underneath that person. But he works with dozens of illustrators and, and other people, right, who bring in graphic design, logos, those things. So you're in a different position than somebody like us. Yeah. Per his question, we have a professional. They do the art. Uh-huh. That person gets a great gig, leaves uh. you. Um, oh, yeah. Now, what would you, assuming you're in our position, not yours. Sure. Um, your art person leaves, and as you pointed out, local colleges, four year or two year, whatever. Yep. Uh, following up on his question, would you go talk to a professor saying, hey, who's your best professor who can do this style of art? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a bad idea to approach a professor if you have any relationships to the college or if you're willing to cold call and just say, hey, I'm a small press guy. You know, would it be of interest to students in your class to do this sort of thing? And you'll get one or two reactions. You know, they'll either say, no, we are, we are teaching art. We are not, uh, you know, we're not sullying ourselves with commercial interests, um, which is a fine answer, right? They, they like, eh, you're just trying to take advantage of my students. Don't do it, right? I, I don't want you in my classroom. I want them to concentrate on craft and technique and not be bothered. Okay, that's fair. Um, or they may say, you know, I don't spend enough time talking about the business side of it and the commercial reality and, like, working to a deadline and, and like, getting critique from uh, somebody who wants to publish work um, that, that these students have done professionally. Um, so they may, they may come back and say, yeah, why don't you come in and, and like, you know, address the class one day as a guest talker and, and say, here's the assignment and see if any of them bite, right? I mean, they, they may bite. Um, I have not approached professors. I have generally gone out and looked at sites like DeviantArt, which is just full of people who are students and professionals and talented amateurs who just want to share their work. You can spend days digging through their galleries looking for something that appeals to your taste. Um, what you'll often find is what I found is, you know, Champagne taste, beer budget. Um, it's like, I love this guy's work. He's awesome. Let me send him a note. And find out, well, you know, his cover rate starts at $800 for close personal friends. And, you know, $1,600 for people he doesn't know. I think, well, yeah, all right. That's nice. I'm glad you get that money. Uh, can't afford you. Um, so, I mean, art students are one way to go. Uh, if you have a community already, like a blogging community, or uh, if you're fortunate enough to be on a, a podcast or, um, or just have a lively Facebook presence, you can just throw it out to social media and see who comes back, right? Say, I'm going to have a contest, or I have an open call for art submissions, or I'm looking to work with some new people. Please submit your portfolio link to... Here's my email, Right? Uh, and, and put out an open call. You should make it clear that, A, you, you really, you know, you have a budget, whatever it is, even if it's modest. Um, and, and you should make it clear, like, what sort of genre and style you're doing. If at all possible, I'd say, well, here's our prior project, right? If you can do something like this, or better, then we're interested. Um, it, it's tough to replace those key people, right? I mean... It doesn't have to be art. Um, my wife, Shelly, handled uh, subscriptions for Cobalt Quarterly. She handled customer service, um, handled a lot of parts of the business that were not terribly visible. But uh, when we had our second child, she said, you know, I'm giving up a bunch of that work. And I said, uh-huh. I'm already feeling overwhelmed. Huh. Are we going to be able to sustain the magazine, right? 
And what we wound up doing is saying, yeah, we're going to do one more issue, kind of burn ourselves out to get the last issue out, and then fold it up because we can't, right? Um, kids take a lot of energy. Your job may take a lot of energy. All of these sort of small press publishing things start as in addition to your day job. So, um, so budget your time, right? And, and if you lose a key person like that, just know your schedule's going to slip. I wish there were an easy fix for it, but there isn't. Um, I've gone through a lot of printers over time. I've gone through a lot of artists. I've gone through a fair number of editors. Um, you know, I had some key partners who, uh, who've gone off and founded their own firms, right? They said, well, I'm really more interested in publishing fiction than editing games material. Oh, well, you should go do that then, right? Um, because I don't pretend that as a small press publisher I can actually pay most of my contributors a living wage, right? They are all freelancers with other interests. And, and with the exception of like the art director and my wife, I, it's like there's nobody who's really focused on Cobalt Press to the exclusion of other interests. And I'm not sure about the art director. I think he does a lot of writing. Um, so, you know, it, you're going to have to find a constellation of talents and resources that work for your firm and get you to the point where you can meet a schedule, whatever that is, once a month, once a year, publishing the thing you want to publish. Um, art, art is so much a matter of taste and budgets vary so much that it's hard to give good advice. I'm, I, I, I mean, you can see, I farm the art duties and the layout duties out to someone I trust because... It's a lot of time. It's really a full-time job. Um, I don't have the skill set, and I'm interested in it, but not fully passionate about it. So I'm going to stick over here on the writing side, the game's design side. Um, once all that's done, though, let's talk about the next stage of the publishing, uh, distribution and marketing, right? Where do you put this stuff? Why would anyone care? Who's going to pay you money? Because one thing I see a lot of sort of beginning small press publishers do is, is fail to have a plan for how to find your audience starting out. Uh, if you are fortunate enough to already have a freelance career uh, with a existing publisher, good for you, right? Like Monty Cook had a really big following before he left Wizards and founded Malhavik. Well, surprise, surprise that fan base followed him to his new venture. So he had a built-in audience. Most of us are not that fortunate. I had a somewhat smaller audience, but still an audience. Um, if you're starting out really from a very modest beginning, you've got to spend a lot of time thinking about how am I going to draw gamers to my publications? You can call it PR, you can call it marketing, you can call it sales, distribution. It's the getting the product into the hands of gamers who are going to love your game. Um, there's a lot of ways to do this. I have tried a lot of things that don't work. I can tell you things that do work, right? Uh, one is for PDF publication... Um, if it's your first title, I would invest probably first and foremost in as much money on the cover as I could, because if the cover art stinks, then my first impression is, well, your game stinks. 
um, or your PDF stinks. And and I will never click on you on drive through if your cover is just, you know, abysmal. Because I will assume, logically or otherwise, that if you don't care about your cover enough to make it even modestly appealing, then you don't care about the interior, you don't care about the layout, you just don't care, right? Because that's your first impression. Spend a lot of time on your title and your cover. Um, they need to be appealing. They need to fit a niche. Um, beyond that, even if you have a wonderful title and a wonderful cover, you need to go to where your fans already might live, right? Like, if you spend all your time hanging out on EN World, um, or you spend all your time on the Paizo boards, uh, or the Watsi community, then go there and tell people, hey, I've, I've been working on this, or tell them before you've launched it, right? Uh, I'm working on this, it's cool. See if you can draw some interest. If everybody says, meh, you may be working on the wrong thing, if even one or two people say, oh my goodness, you're like expanding the possibilities for my Spelljammer campaign, I'm so into this, then um, you have at least one fan and one person who might review it and one person who will purchase it. And basically you have to win an audience like one person at a time. Um, you can demo your, your game um, at conventions. Like If you run a four-hour slot and all six people walk away saying... Wow, you gave us five standard classes and one awesome new variant class. Where can I get that, right? Well, as it happens, thank you for playing my four-hour scenario or two-hour scenario. That's available for my new publishing company. Go out. Here's my card. Here's a flyer. I mean, you have to try thing after thing. You can try Facebook. Social media are great because they're inexpensive except in terms of time. But ultimately, this isn't a marketing seminar, and there are people who are better at it than I am. Right, um, I try. I realize that it is part of the publishing skill set to get the word out. Um, I send out review copies. I do demos. I talk up in social media. Um, you do all of those things. You do your demos. You show up at conventions. You introduce yourself. Um, you talk it up on the fan boards. Uh, if all of that draws you no sales, no. All right. Time to move on to the next next release. Uh, you have to admit that it's trial and error, and it's a bit of a hit-driven business. For every, whatever, 10 products we release in a year at Cobalt Press, I'm going to say total ballpark. One is like a hit, right? It's undoubted. Wow, that went super well. Everybody loved that thing. Four are, well, that went okay, yeah. A lot of people bought that. The reviewers were good. People are playing it. They're talking about it. Yeah, we did what we wanted there, right? That It wasn't like over-the-top crazy, but we made some money on that. We're not broke, yay. Um, and, and it'll probably keep selling for a while. Um, good. Five of them will be like, hmm, well, I guess we broke even. Or we didn't lose too much money on that, or... It wasn't a complete waste of time. One reviewer loved it. You know, um, they'll, they'll disappoint. And, and it may be that your expectations were, we're going to sell thousands of copies. Well, no, you're not. Uh, not in the role-playing field. Um, but it may just be, you know, someone else did something. Oh, the super genius games guys released something just like that. Just like your product. Only better. Two weeks earlier. You know, well, I'd already put in six months of work on the thing by then, or... 
six weeks of work or however long, it's like, well, you might as well release it and recover whatever costs you can and, and market it as, hey, if you love this super genius hit over here, maybe you'll love our thing here, right? Try to ride on their coattails if you get stuck writing something too similar to somebody else's work. You try to spin gold out of every opportunity, but sometimes your product goes out with a thud. And, and that's the nature of the business, right? If you spend too much time getting neurotic about it and saying, why, why was it such a failure? Oh my God, we gotta ask the fans, what are we doing wrong? This was so wrong, it was wrong, uh, it was me, it was you, no, it was you, right? You can't spend your time arguing with your coworkers about why it failed or, or hiding the sales numbers. You know, oh, how'd that do, boss? Oh, it did fine. Good fine or bad fine? You know, like, no, it, it didn't do well. It, it was okay. Let's do better next time. Just be honest about it. Uh, because you're going to have failures, just like any, any field. Um, which brings me to my next point, which is, wow, you better have more than one product in the pipeline. Because if you have one thing that you are super, super excited about, and hey, I've got at least one, um, what's my next thing? Well, if you're not working on thing two well before thing one goes out, then it's hard to follow up your successes, right? Because your one big hit has gone out and everyone's hot on you. And they're saying, yeah, that thing was great. And they're telling their friends. Um, and what you want to do is like within the next 30 days to 60 days before any golden glow has evaporated, you want your next thing to show up and say, hey, everybody, remember thing A? Thing A was so awesome. You all loved it. We love you, too. Here's thing B. And it, it takes time, especially when you're working evenings and weekends on limited budgets, limited resources with tools you may not understand, and you're doing it for the first time, and you're not confident in your abilities. It takes a heck of a lot longer than you think, right, to make the follow-up. So my advice to you would be, don't think in terms of your first release. As a publisher, start thinking in terms of your first six-month schedule, right, or your first 12-month schedule. And before you release anything, have a couple things in the can. If you are in the fortunate position of, like, luxury of time, maybe have two things ready to go before the first thing goes out the door. Because one of the secrets to, like, the super genius publishing strategy super genius games has released a pdf every week for a year and a half two years three years i'm not sure how long it's been now but you can count on that publisher they will have a new release every single week and they are small right some of them are like two three eight page very simple not a lot of interior illustration they have it down, and there's going to be something, even if it's very small. And some of their releases are much meatier. Um, but every week there's something, so they build momentum. I have, with Cobalt Press, I have to admit, I come from the magazine world. The cadence of publishing that I was brought into the business with was a monthly publication of Dragon and a bi-monthly publication of Dungeon. And this probably has something to do with the fact that I just can't make a weekly schedule work for me. Or if I want to look in another direction, I can say, I have two small children, and I can't make a weekly publication schedule work for me. But you need to figure out the pace that works for your company and the people you're working with, right? And you should 
strive to be in front of people's eyes at least once a month if you can. And if you're going PDF only, the more frequent the better. If your strategy is different, right? If your strategy is, I'm doing a Kickstarter for a print book, or I'm doing you know, one release a quarter at high quality for a specialized audience, and really I just want to build it slowly over time. That's fine. But know what your rhythm and schedule of publication is before the first one goes out. Because the last thing you want is to say, wow, the first one went well, now what? I don't even know what to tell the people who are saying, you know, hey, good job, new publisher, what's next? When's it coming? Because people will ask. And you want to have, um, you want to set expectations for your fan base. The more you communicate with them, the better they're going to be about having a reasonable degree of entitlement. Um, because if you do produce stuff over years on a weekly basis, some people come to expect that, right? Um, and if you produce stuff on a quarterly basis, people will say, oh yeah, that's fine. You know, I'm not in a rush. The last one was good. Take your time. Make the next one good. As long as you're hitting that high quality bar, I'm willing to wait 90 days and then I will show up. And they will. People will just seasonally show up. Hey, where is where is it? Um, but if you don't tell them in advance that we're a weekly publisher or we're a twice yearly publisher, they don't know what to think. Um, you brought up the uh, difference between uh, PDFs online and print. Could you go sure. into more detail the difference both in the um, how much content is generally expected in those two and also the yeah. whether you should start with one or the other? Uh, this depends. If you have a big pile of seed capital, um, print will get you more attention early on, right? People will say, you are willing to burn a lot of money on a risky venture. Um, PDF has costs. Oh my goodness, it has costs. Um, they aren't manufacturing costs, they are labor costs, right? So, and so does print. Um, the, the distinction is, do you have... Um, do you have experience with print, right? Uh, doing print layout is different than PDF layout. It's more demanding. Um, the controls are tighter. You have to go through extra proofing cycles. Uh, even if you're working with a print-on-demand company, such as uh, Lulu is the, the gentlest and friendliest of them with the most supportive tools for somebody who doesn't have a background in print production, uh, Lightning Source is by far the uh, least expensive per printed book, right? But um, but they don't do a lot of hand-holding. you got to show up with your own ISBNs. you got to understand um, their file formats, uh, template requirements, layout requirements. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean... So, I would not recommend print as the place to start unless you, A, have, have some money to risk uh, to create a print run and, and work the extra uh, labor costs of getting into print. Uh, Lightning Source also requires a setup fee right up front, which is fairly substantial for a, a newcomer. Is it easy to convert from one to the other? Take a PDF no. and print it? No. Uh, <laughs> you would think that it is, and it's... It's a step above trivial. It's like three steps above trivial, right? Every one of these print-on-demand houses has a different set of requirements. Um, so 
a PDF optimized for the web is going to be lower resolution and have different features than a PDF optimized for Lightning Source. Uh, a PDF optimized for Lightning Source will generally work at Lulu, but not always. Um, and so what you quickly wind up in is these print-on-demand houses all have you're going to have to proof with every one of those channels you go into. Um, and there are others out there as well. There's, um, there's others. Um, but, but once you've got the PDF, it's not like twice as much work to get the print version ready. It's like a few additional hours of work for a small book. If it's a 300-page full-color volume and you're resetting the type to meet some you know, gutter requirement. They say, well, your gutters are only 0.6 inches and we require a 0.7 inch gutter or we won't print it. Well, great, you're just laying out your whole book again. So uh, there are a lot of traps and, and the sort of naive assumption I went into was if I've created the PDF um, well, then I should be able to port it instantly to any printer and they, they'll print it for me. That's what they do. They're printers. Print it for me. And no, they have requirements, right? Especially digital printers, because their machinery only has certain tolerances. Some won't do bleed at all, or they used to not do bleed at all. Now that's more common. Um, some won't do color well. Some won't do certain typefaces, or things will drop out. Yeah. Print is a... It's just a higher-risk publication, right? You're venturing more money and more time. There's more headaches more proofing cycles, uh, more things can go wrong. The less experienced you are as a publisher, the more I would warn you against going to print first. At the same time, if you're working with somebody whose background is in print production, yay, he used to run a press, he knows all this stuff, um, then, wow, you are in great shape because they will, they will already have mastered all that skill set and those requirements and standards and they will steer you around the hurdles, and they'll say, oh, yeah, Lightning wants it this way. No problem. And this is why I said work with professionals, right? Your friend may know how to export a PDF and, and how to read the requirements page at Lightning, and they think they understand everything, but then they made a mistake, right? There's, yeah. So this is why it's, I'd caution people, yeah, PDF is a, is a much less expensive way to get out there. Distribution is much easier. Um, and you won't have manufacturing, shipping, and warehousing costs. Warehousing costs, by the way, in the state of Texas, also come with taxes. So, um, because Texas loves to tax warehouse stock. I don't know why. But these are the sorts of things you begin to discover as a publisher, right? It's like, I had no idea that that fee even existed. Uh, I worked with a major distributor once who charged me fees for their shipping my print books between their first warehouse and their second warehouse. I'm like, how is that any of my business? You're shuffling my stock around. Why are you charging me? Uh, it's just you agreed to it in this 20-page contract. I did? It's insane. I thought I read the whole thing. Um, it's like, no, no. It's, a, it's called a restocking fee, and we're the only one who charges this, but tough luck. You know, so traps everywhere. You'll you'll discover your own. Um, 
PDF has less traps, but not no traps. Let me tell you the big risk with PDF. Um, everyone thinks PDFs are free. They're, you know, you just put them up on a website and people will show up and buy them. And, and you've just had to pay the labor cost of the art and the writing and the layout and the promotional work you've done. And, you know, you've just done all the work, but now the actual manufacturing thing is free. No, not really, because you've spent all that time on it, and you've paid some of these people to be professionals. And, you know, if you've, all, if you've been modest and you've said, I've got a $250 budget for this PDF, and that's going to be my cover art, and all the writing, absolutely everything is going to fit into that $200 budget. Uh, and then you make $100 in sales. Um, it's like, well, you've spent 200 hours and $200, and you, you're in the hole, Right? You can lose money as a PDF publisher. And every time I say this, I get a couple of people who look at me like, how's that possible? Well, <laughs> because labor is a cost, right? And art is a cost. And, and all of these things, playtest time is a cost. Um, if you are not in this to make money, then it doesn't matter to you. You have gotten your book out there. A few people have purchased it and been enthusiastic about it. And as long as you are willing to throw more money and more time into the, the pit of, well, I'm making less than I am uh, spending, then you are a successful publisher um, right until the day that the IRS says, yeah, you've been doing this for three years and you've never turned a profit. That's a hobby. All of your deductions are disallowed. Those are not business expenses. Those are hobby expenses, and we expect full taxes and interest and penalties on this so-called work of yours. So, um, yeah, PDFs can get you in trouble. You can do bad things in a business sense, um, even, even if you're you know, trying to play it really safe. Um, if you can go back to the IRS and say, yeah, but my latest project in year four finally made money and, you know, fight it in an audit. You know, it took three years to get the business off the ground and now I'm making money. My newest project is a hit. Yeah, maybe they'll let you off the hook. But, um, but I'd say be cautious. Oh, and this brings me back around to the other person I hired in year one who was uh, a tax preparer. I had always done my own taxes before. Uh, even as a freelancer, I'd said, I can do my own taxes. They're not that complicated. The moment I became a sole proprietor, I said, I have no idea what is deductible. And they said, hey, your community college expenses are deductible. Really? Oh, yeah, and your software, that's a capital asset. You can deduct that. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, and all these things you're paying to freelancers? Yeah. You can deduct all that. That's a business expense. Oh, really? Okay. And, you know... I got smart very quickly about what I could and could not do. And she was also the one who said, by the way, if you don't turn a profit in a few years, this is a hobby. So you might want to set some money aside in escrow um, just in case it's an unsuccessful business and the IRS disallows everything. So, um, you know, I, I trust her advice. She's a professional tax preparer and CPA. You may want to find somebody like that as well just to talk to once a year or to talk to as you are setting up the business. Question. Would you impart some wisdom on like a freelancer uh, who wants to get somebody else to publish their work, or uh -huh. use that as a first step to becoming their own uh, their own publisher? 
Yeah, I mean, that is a whole separate seminar on how to be a successful freelancer, and uh, the Tome Show recorded that panel one hour ago, so I would, uh, I would urge you to check um, that podcast site for when they, uh, uh, when they have edited and posted that. You happen to be sitting right next to Jeff Greiner of the Tome Show. So, uh, <laughs> so fortunate you. Um, there, there are ways to, to leverage freelance work into, uh, into your own fan base and then publishing your own stuff. I, I can point at one example that's very recent of that. Um, Jason Bullman, whose work you may know as the lead designer of the Pathfinder role-playing game, has recently launched his own small imprint, which is PDF only, by the way, um, called Minotaur Games. And he has a background as an architect. And depending on your degree of difficulty, you could say he can draw, right? He, he can draw better than I can. And he illustrates his own covers and does his own layout and writes the stuff in it. Fantastically high-quality game design with some relatively modest covers, I think he'd admit. But, I mean, there he is. He's working at a big company as a staff designer. Now he's doing his own thing on the side just for fun. Um, it's entirely possible that as a freelancer you can get a following with whatever game you love and once your name has been on a few bylines uh, or you have a high profile guest blog at uh, you know pick your favorite site um, and you are known as a freelancer um, it, it becomes much easier than to say yeah I have fans and some of them will follow me as I self publish um you may find that you prefer to have other people do the business side or spend the money on art and layout and time and distribution. Um, there are some freelancers I know who are just like, I, I want to hand off the manuscript and be done with it. And I have recently done that with a couple of freelance projects. And wow, did that feel good, right? It's like, I'm not publishing this. I just designed it. Oh, I'm done. Where's my check? Right? Um, <laughs> I mean, really, it was the end of the process for me. And um, it, it felt easier because I know how much work goes on after the manuscript turnover. Um, I don't think there's a better way. It's just two different ways to approach a creative career. You may try freelancing and find you don't have enough hustle and drive and aren't making the right connections or people just keep saying no. Um, or you may find that you love the publishing side and getting into the weeds um, and really controlling what is published, right? This is what the indie press is all about, right? Someone like Vincent Baker of uh, many famous indie titles um, is, you know, releasing exactly the book he wants to release because it's all him and his wife. But, you know, he's got creative partners, two or three, but it's a small outfit. Um, there are big rewards for publishing. The biggest one, I mean, I've been talking about all the pitfalls, all the work, all the things that can go horribly wrong and have, and you will make mistakes and you will regret certain choices and you'll say, oh my God, why did I spend that money? And, um, and yet at the end of the day, let me say what's wonderful about it. If you are a publisher, and whether you are publishing your own work or whether you are taking the decisions about this is the title I want to do, these are the freelancers I want to work on it, this is the partnership I'm putting together to release this new game or new PDF or anything, 
I mean, you have creative control. Uh, even if it's not your writing, um, I'm very proud of projects I've put together where it's like, well, I, I talked to these freelancers. I said, give me an outline. Let's work with that. At every stage of the process, you can feel that your hand was on the work, that you have contributed to its success, um, and that probably without you, you know, those freelancers would have worked on something else. Um, that's pretty satisfying to say. Six months from now, you know, we're doing the big book of Knowles because I've always loved Knowles, and I believe that there are others like me who love Knowles. Um, <laughs> and if you're right, holy cats, you've got a small community, right? The, the Knoll fandom shows up, and they say, Hyena Power, where's part two? Uh, and when's the adventure coming? I love these traits and feats, but you really need to get into racial spells and alternate traits. And, you know, they'll give you ideas for the, the follow-on. Um, and you can say to yourself, well, that was my dumb idea, and it turned out it wasn't a dumb idea. A lot of other people love the same thing I do. Um, and... And having manuscripts come in or art come in that you've commissioned, it's like, well, I promised this guy a lot of money for their work. Oh, I'm taking my big first risk with, like, I'm leveling up as a publisher. I'm, I'm commissioning art from someone whose stuff I've seen and admired for years. I'm cutting a big check. And, like, the art comes in and it's awesome. It's like, oh, worth every penny. I know everyone's going to love this thing. That feels great, right? You're taking risks and you're making decisions about uh, big creative works. And, and that pays off, right? People will come to you at conventions and say, hey, I liked your latest release. Uh, and people will, will piss on you at, on message boards and say, hey, baby, 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 so wrong, double period at the end of a sentence. And, the, and that sounds horrible, right? Because you will get all that. No, the good part is your fans will leap to your defense and they'll say, oh, come on, man. That book was awesome. Did you not read the feats? Double period. Yeah, yeah. The editor didn't catch it. You know, get a grip, buddy. This was a great supplement, right? It's like, they came to my defense. I didn't have to go out there and, like, apologize for the double period and say, well, it's not really the editor's fault. That was introduced during layout. I'm so sorry. We'll fix it immediately. Um, You'll learn to apologize as a publisher for things that really aren't your fault. <laughs> like being in a relationship. Yeah, whatever it is, right? It is like being in a relationship with your customers, your fans, and your freelancers, right? So you're managing relationships to create something cool and new. Um, and if you enjoy that, and if you have a little bit of people skills, and if you're a really dedicated gamer, it's deeply satisfying to say, here's the adventure that my company has published and somebody writes a review it's your first review and they like it um, or you know you just put out a little PDF of six monsters and some reviewer who you've been reading their reviews of other stuff says hey that was pretty good we're looking forward to the next review for the next product from this new company it's all wonderful right that is that is manna from heaven you will get compliments you will get complaints you'll probably get more complaints uh, my advice to you as publishers is focus on the compliments and what you're doing well and take the complaints as opportunities to do better next time because um, you can't go back and fix everything for your entire back catalog. The longer you've been in the business, the more it will roll off your back when somebody says, you know that book from five years ago? Yeah, that was a double period in chapter three. It's like, no, <laughs> thank you for letting me know. Thank you very much. Moving on, right? Uh, I've got a new project coming. Let me tell you about that. 
And uh, and that's sort of the publishing biz in a nutshell. I am way out of time and could probably talk for another hour. But thank you for your indulgence and your excellent questions. I look forward to uh, hearing your company names and inviting you onto this panel next year. Thank you. <laughs>